0: You are listening to Fast Track Podcast, the place to be to fast track your personal finance or fast track your business, or both, through a series of conversations with those who have learned it, done it, and made it. In this millionaire series, I interview people who have achieved one million net worth. I ask them about their money habits, money philosophy, and how they achieve net worth growth so that you can implement the proven method and improve your personal finance. Today's guest is Matthias Richter, who achieved financial independence at the age of 37 and built an impressive personal net worth from the ground up. If you have followed this podcast for a while, you will know that he was on the second episode, which is a great one. In this millionaire series, let's hear about how he built up his wealth, Yes, welcome to Fast Track podcast and then again in this Millionaire series.
1: Thank you, Yasu, for having me back. <laughs> I'm very thrilled to be back on your show. Yeah,
0: uh, last time we talked about how you achieved financial independence. And this time I want to retouch on this topic, but to go back to your early years when you first mm. accumulate one million net worth. So uh, tell the audience, at what age did you achieve one million net worth?
1: Maybe, maybe that 1 million is a magic figure. You can think of it in US dollar, Swiss franc, whatever. I think the, the Swiss franc number, I should have crossed it in early 2013, so I was 34 years old, a little bit older than some of the people in this community that uh, can do it before they reach 30. But yeah, so it, it was 2013 and I had a system to get there. And then at the end, it was just one last transaction that, that lifted us above that number.
0: And what are the factors that help you achieve it? For example, like your income or investment or the other factors?
1: I think if you if you look at the main factors, definitely having a, a good income was very useful, but income is only one side of the story. It's also what you spend and what you keep and what you do with it. I think besides the income, I was very gifted having a, a dad, a father that taught me a lot about the money since I was a kid. I was able to learn from very young age how to deal with money. I got inspired also by my dad who kind of left the corporate world in his late 40s. So I had my father at home and he spent a lot of time teaching certain things about money to, to us kids. The, the factors besides that probably is also real estate, but it's, it's investing, it's real estate. High income and uh, not living above your means. So making something with the money, but not spending or splurging it all away. Mm-hmm. And definitely starting at the early age with all these things.
0: Mm-hmm. That one- so it, it's a combination of different investment and the money habits that
1: you. I believe used. so. I believe so. Of course, my my story is just one part. There's different stories out there, but I believe if I look at my case, it was awareness first, and then later knowing how to how to deal with uh, money and deal with wealth. Exactly. Have you
0: always tracked your net worth since at a young age? Do you always I, have I a was, goal?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, a goal, a goal, I, I started setting goals in the late 1990s. I had a Excel sheet very, very long ago already. I, I started tracking my first shareholdings when I was 16 years old. and um, was quite uh, amazing that like, back then I actually, I think I shared in my podcast with you last time, I, I did much better in the first few years than I ever could imagine. And then I really fell down. <laughs> Because I, I burned a lot of money later. I got uh, lucky in a, in a TV game show. I think I also mentioned that in our podcast, which helped me to, to supercharge forward. And because I got burned in the first place, I think when, when the money came back again, I knew better how to stay disciplined and how to, how to keep going with that. Mm. Yes. How
0: to keep the money you earned. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. And how to, how to assign the money I've earned a job that it starts working for me
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah. Since you started paying attention to your net worth at a younger age, what do you think are the other habits that help you stay on track? Like something you mentioned it earlier, but could you elaborate a little bit more on the habits?
1: Well, habits, living below your means, that's probably number one. So when I was a student, I I started to earn quite a decent chunk of money already, even before. So I was always, uh, I was a newspaper boy. I was a pizza uh, maker. At, at some points, I had three jobs at the same time as I, as I was actually studying at university. So sometimes I, I slept maybe four or five hours a day. The habit there was just... No matter whatever comes in, I try to keep my expenses low. So spend only what you really need. And um, miraculously, I could hold this down until uh, until my early 30s pretty well. And uh, I was also very lucky. I found my wife in Taiwan who had a very similar mindset. And we married early and we both were very aligned on this topic so I think that helped living below your means means if you first, maybe you're a student, then you get your first job, avoid your life lifestyle inflation. Don't spend more money just because you earn more money. Try to increase the gap because income and spending and whatever the difference is there, you try to find a job for this. That means put it to, to work for you, invest that money. Also like having a system, I think in a later stage, having systems helped a lot. So I was a fund account contributor for very long. So I remember when I was 21, I signed up to contribute at least 300 Swiss francs every month at Migro Bank for like equity funds. (laughs) So every month, this 300 went there. The, after a few months, I even made it uh, like a challenge for myself. Can I do 500 this month? Can I do more? I kept track on, on how much I contributed. And by the end of my studies, that was another 50,000 almost.
0: Well, how many
1: years was <clears throat> the,
0: did it take?
1: That was maybe four or five years. Four or so five f- years.
0: Four or five years, you, are, you were contributing to the fund consistently every yes. single month. Okay.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So maybe if you have the 300 per month, that's 3,006 times 5, you end up probably, I mean, it's not even 20,000 altogether, but uh, with some extra charges at the end, it it ended up to be almost 50,000. And of course the performance played a role, dollar cost averaging played a role. And I think having a system played the biggest role. Later in my life, when real estate came into play, I believe the the big part was once you find real estate, I was very strategic about looking on the map, looking at the city development plans, looking at other things. And we got it very lucky in in Taiwan, where we bought uh, our first apartment in 2010, which was just at the end time of the great financial crisis. So everything was very depressed and we could, back then we could even take up a mortgage and home prices were maybe around 200,000 US dollar equivalent for, for a decent apartment. And we, we took a mortgage up that actually we paid off within five years. We, we finished paying off that mortgage and the house price afterwards tripled. So it was uh, the, the the house location was good because uh, there was plans to have a like a subway station nearby. There was a high speed train coming, all these things. And in Singapore, we bought another an apartment at the the moment where actually that was in two thousand thirteen where they introduced a new uh, rule for, for buyers that, to actually punish people who have more than one home. So some people, they panic sold, and we, we picked up our nice flat in Singapore at a discount back then, also took up the next mortgage. Also, the, the mortgage was very stretched. And of course, the mortgage repayment, if, if you pay off mortgage every month for, for such amounts, over five, six years, it's it's amazing what sums up there at the end. And that was another like driver leverage. Probably you can include in that having leverage mm-hmm. because investing into stocks is one thing, but if you if you have real estate and you you are able to take a mortgage, you get the bigger lever on that, right? And then yeah. if you do that two, three times in a short period of time. the the payoff can be quite tremendous as well. You don't have to have a Tesla share or something outwardly, something that that boosts you up. It can be very ordinary things as well.
0: I like that you live below your means even though you had a salary increase or even bigger salary but still managed to save more and then use the money to invest smartly. Mm. That's, That's a really great learning point from you. And my next question is, this is what you did well. And what is a big money mistake that you made in the past and you, you learned a lot from it. You want to share it with the audience?
1: Oh, yeah, the, the big money mistake is probably to get too self-confident. And that means like if you if you feel this is the right way, this is how to do it with uh, bigger amounts to to not be too diversified so that means if on the stock market my my biggest uh, loss was in 2001 when the new economy boom came to an end if you hold all the shares in the same economy which is new economy and the whole thing comes down well then it's not diversified you see so it's it's everything is in one kind of asset basket you get punished for it and more diversified would have been if you have more traditional businesses in shares, or if you have real estate, or if you have a business yourself, or if you invest in yourself as a, as a young person as well. So diversification doesn't just have to be like diversify in similar shares in the same market. It could also be diversify a little bit further than that. So my biggest mistake is not being diversified enough at an early age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think when the market is doing well, and then you never think about maybe it's too risky Mm. to put everything in one basket, but just when something bad happens, then you realize that, oh, you didn't diversify enough. That's a great learning point.
1: Usually, usually some people speak against diversification. They say, if you know what you're doing, then you don't have to diversify. But then I, I tend to say diversification to a certain amount is also some kind of insurance. Because there are some things you can control, some things you cannot control. And if the things that you cannot control go against you, you think you did all right, then it's still wrong. And if you if you have a very successful few months or years, you, you might get very self-confident and maybe it has nothing to do with how smart you are it's simply the market went up it's a bull market so no matter what you touch it turns into gold and uh <laughs> i yeah, like that so...
0: expression <laughs>
1: don't be fooled by that. Don't think, sorry to take that example now, but don't think because of Bitcoin go up or don't think because of Tesla go up or anything go up. It's because you are smart that you make a lot of money and just be aware of these things, right? I think at the moment we have seen tremendous run up in the market. Think about to diversify something, not everything, of course, right? So one way to do it is uh, instead of having 80 or 100% of your portfolio into something speculative, you can still do the more risky things, but maybe you keep it to a smaller extent you, you put maybe 20% of your total wealth into stocks or things that could be very high volatile volatility, and not not a bigger part of that. And like this, if if the situation turns, you will not get burned so bad. But if the thing go up, you might still profit, but not to the full extent. So it's give and take. It's a trade-off.
0: Yeah, there's an upside. There's a downside, but at least yeah. you are protected. Yeah. So, uh, just a warning to the audience: anything we talk about in this podcast is personal opinion, (laughs) personal experiences. By no means, it is a financial advice. Okay?
1: Past performance is no guarantee for future performance. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And that brings to the last question of this episode: is what is your next financial goal?
1: I, I really love the, the Ikigai concept, which means like to live your life around your passions, of course, can still mean to contribute value to society, to earn some money. So financial goal is to, to actually earn some passion income, to, to say it like that, from projects where I think I can have a positive impact to help others, to uplift others. So one thing is uh, for, for you, if you don't know it yet, Yasu and me, we are working on a money course. Yasu definitely will include that in the in the show links. Uh, things like that, working on projects that I believe I can impact people in a in a positive way to make more of their lives. Also extending my uh, existing wealth to an extent where you can call it generational wealth. I think that's a generational wealth is something that lasts more than one generation. So not that I want to spoil my kids with that in a way, but to build something up that can last a little bit longer, that could be the business that can survive, or it could be that the, the wealth is arranged. And of course, financial literacy, teaching my kids to, to know how to handle things. That's a lot of wealthy people forget about that part. They, they work so hard on their business, on their money. And uh, one day they pass away, their kids will be very wealthy because they inherit, but they don't know what to do with the leftovers. And then in Chinese, they have a saying that wealth doesn't last or doesn't survive for more than three generations. I want to avoid that. Of course, a lot of people have tried before, but that's that's maybe my financial goal, goal there. The, the, the third point less financial, but also like life design uh, way. I want to live my life in a way that the people like my kids, when they see me uh, living my life, that they are inspired to live a passionate and productive life of my own design that uh, financially can be sufficient for the family to do well. Yeah.
0: Like an inspiration yeah. for it, them. It reminds me of the story you mentioned earlier and also in your blog post that how your dad taught you financial literacy and then you you can also pass this to your children even beyond that it's it's such a I would say such a privilege as a young Mm. kid to learn that directly from the parents but as a grown-ups if people do not have the opportunity I think we can always learn from you know online courses from listening to podcasts Mm. and reading books so yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. Great, I, li- I like the educational part.
1: For kids, I just feel kids, they, they look at how you live your life and then they, they, don't, they may listen to what you say, but if you live your best example, they, 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 will, they will have it, yeah, they see it. Seeing is believing,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: walking the talk, right? And if you're a parent and you keep talking about do this and do that, but you yourself do the opposite, Let's say you, you always look at your phone or you do this, uh, teach your kids not to look at the phone, then it will not get the job done. So you have to you have to be an example, a role model for them to look up to. That That's that's the goal.
0: It's great. I like it. And thank mm. you very much for being part of this series and nice to have you again. And I will leave. Welcome. Yeah, I, I will leave some of the links in the show notes that if people if it is the first time they. They hear about you, and then they can visit your blog, your website, and also for the audience out there who want to uh, understand how to improve your personal financial situation and learning from you know your past twenty years experiences. And then they can also sign up for the fast track money course.
1: Thank you so much, Yasser.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fast Track Podcast. Show me your support by liking this episode and sharing it with your friends. Join the Facebook group at Fast Track Podcast one or you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, the homepage, FastTrack.live. See you in the next episode.